so every year in October, my pattern typically with uh, preaching and message series stuff is that I do a series that deals with um, more spiritual things than physical things. Um, so we talk about like demons and spiritual warfare, spiritual disciplines, um, kind of as we are heading towards Halloween in, uh, in the world. Um, this year I decided to go a little bit different direction and instead of being a little bit scary, we're gonna be terrifying because Tammy is running the computer today. <laughs> Sorry, Tammy. So, so Julie isn't here and our normal two backups uh, couldn't be here today. And so Tammy, I uh, really appreciate you just being like, hey, I'll do it. So <laughs> good luck to me <laughs> and to you and to, and to you uh, and to you, Tammy. Uh, no, th this year um, we're going to talk about something that uh, that that isn't that isn't really scary spiritual stuff, it, but, but it is, I think it is, uh, it is terrifying because in this new series, Bad Religion, we're going to take a hard look at ourselves and our own spiritual walk with Jesus. Because the truth is that for most of us as followers of Jesus, we are really easy on ourselves. I can excuse the things I do all day long. Uh, but I can also be very quick to point out the sins of other people. Uh, look what they're doing. And maybe, um, at least for me personally, I see this nowhere more clearly than um, on the highway. Uh, because if I need to speed, there is a good reason for that. <laughs> but when I'm going the speed limit and somebody else goes past me, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. Where's the cops at? I'm, I'm probably the only one who, uh, who does that. So in this series, um, we are going to uh, look at our own spiritual walk, but we're gonna do that, we're gonna try and do that from God's point of view and see where he thinks we each need some work in, um, in our lives. Because um, this is something that happened on a regular basis in Israel's history. Um, it's why the middle section of the Old Testament is uh, a section called the major and minor prophets. It's prophets that God sent, men and sometimes women that God sent to Israel to confront them about the way that they were living and the things that they were, were doing. Um, basically, when the nation stopped following God, God would send a prophet in to the king or whoever was in charge and he'd go, hey, look, God says you're not living right and you need to repent, you need to change, you need to do things differently, you need to follow him in order to receive his blessing. And if you don't, then there's always discipline that goes along with that, right? Like you, Israel and us as believers, we, there's, a, there's a high responsibility for us as, as followers of Jesus. And when we don't meet that responsibility, um, when we shirk that responsibility, uh, then that is not just about us, but it's really about like people are going to hell because we're not doing what God's called us to do. And so um, for both the Northern nation of Israel and the Southern tribes of Judah, um, these prophets would come, they would point out sin and they would call the people uh, to repentance. And the problem for Israel 
for the first followers of Jesus that we'll look at later in the series and for us today is that we can be very religious without, good job, Tammy, that was right on the money. Way to go. Uh, we can be very religious without being righteous, right? And, and, and you probably know some people like this who are really good at, at being religious but when you look deeper at their lives, they're, they're missing some of this righteousness piece that goes along with it. So like we can dress the right way, we can say the right things, we can claim the right connections or, or the right religious affiliations, and we can still be spiritually wrong. It has been humanity's struggle really since the beginning. We, we want to be right without being righteous. Um, we want to have the promise of heaven um, even when we're pursuing hell. We want the protection of the king while we pursue our own kingdom. And so in this series, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, the messages of four different prophets, two from the Old Testament and two from the New Testament, uh, who were calling the people of God back to the priorities of God. And we're going to start today by looking at the prophet um, Amos. Now, Amos was a shepherd and a, uh, a nut farmer. Go back to the last one, Tammy. There you go. Nope, not that one. I don't know where, there you are, that's the right one. Uh, <laughs> Amos was a, was a shepherd and, and he was a nut farmer. I don't remember what it was, almonds or something like that, that he, uh, that he grew. And he uh, lived in an area, I believe it's called Tekoa. And it was, um, it was on the border between the northern 10 tribes of Israel and the southern two tribes of Judah. And, um, and, and God called Amos, to go to the king of the northern kingdom of Israel and confront the sins of the nation. Now, um, you, you got to understand what's been going on. The nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes and uh, David was the king of them all. But in David's line, several generations after David passed, uh, his sons came along and they began to do things that just well, they just weren't things that David would have done. And, and so what happens at one point is the northern 10 tribes of Israel, um, they get to this point where they, they say, what does David have to do with us? Like, like we're, we, we don't want to be associated with him anymore. And so the 10 northern tribes of Israel, they split away from the nation of, of Israel. And so in your Bible, as you read it, what happens after that time period is that the 10 northern tribes are called Israel and the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they're called Judah because Judah was huge. Um, that the Judah by itself was like all the other 10 tribes combined. So you have this separation. So God calls Amos and he says, go to the northern tribes, to that northern territory and confront the king. Um, because when the northern tribes broke off from Israel, they separated themselves physically from the temple, which was in Judah and in the heart of Judah in Jerusalem. And so the king understood rightly that if his people continued to go from the northern territories down into Jerusalem and worship at the temple, they would be uh, enticed to leave Israel and go down to Judah to, to live because that's where God was, that's where the temple was. And so when the tribes, northern 10 tribes broke off, 
Um, the king built his own temple in, in Bethel. Uh, he built it up on a hill. And then he said, this is where you will come to worship God. Only what they did was they built some calves and, and they, some idols and some gold. And they began to worship other gods, which is what God was, knew was going to be the problem anyway. Um, and so this northern Tim tribes, they just, they've broken away from God almost um, completely. And, uh, and so there's not only this separation physically in the nation, there's not just a separation politically in the nation, but there's a separation spiritually in the nation as well. And really it's an age old struggle because we often wonder how can I get the best from God while giving him the least of myself? See the Northern 10 tribes of Israel, they wanted all of God's blessings. They just didn't want to follow all of his rules and commands. Now, None of us would say this out loud, right? Certainly as a follower of Jesus, we wouldn't ever like admit to this. That I, I want all the good stuff that God has for me. I just don't want to give him everything that he, that he wants. We don't say that out loud, but if we examine our own lives, don't we at least sometimes act like this? And, and maybe I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. And, and the reality is, uh, yeah, that's me sometimes. There are times in, in my life where I want the blessing of God. I, I just want to give him the least that I, that I can. Um, God, look, I'm doing these things. Where are, where are you? Uh, and so uh, Amos challenged um, these, uh, these problems. Um, and all of this, this is how the northern tribes of Israel lived. So um, Amos challenged three basic problems uh, with the northern tribes of Israel. The, the first one was uh, that the wealthy ignored the plight of the, the poor. Um, that's a pretty normal thing. We see that uh, a lot. Secondly, uh, the nation practiced debt slavery. And so if, you, if you're unfamiliar with debt slavery, um, maybe some of you will be familiar with the old Tennessee Ernie Ford song, 16 Tons. You remember that? You load 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Yeah. So uh, these guys would come from all over the country and they would go to work in the coal mines and the coal industry had set up stores and they would provide them housing and food and all this kind of stuff, but you had to pay for it. The problem is that the daily food and lodging and things that you needed cost you more than what you were making in the mine. So the king always wins, right? The house always wins. And so um, they're working and working, working, but never getting ahead. And so this is what Israel um, practiced, debt slavery. And so if you couldn't pay your debts, they made you a slave and they didn't give you enough that you could ever hope to get out of that. Um, and you can see like, man, why would they do that? Because that exists in their own history as well um, when they were slaves. The third thing that they were doing, kind of because of the first two, um, they then denied the poor and the outcast legal representation. So the wealthy ignored the poor, and then um, because they were poor, they put them into debt slavery. And because the wealthy were getting more wealthy because of these first two things, they then denied the poor, legal representation so that they continue to stay in debt slavery and, and they could continue to ignore the plight of those um, people. 
And so Amos really is confused by all this. And, and he's like, isn't this the Israel that was once for 200 years slaves in Egypt? Like, why would you want to perpetrate this thing when you understand what it was like, what you have been through there? And so um, God presents his case to the people in Amos chapter five. Here's what it says. Uh, they hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor him who speaks the truth. Uh, so the leaders of a town, um, the, the aged people, they would meet at the gate of the city um, to discuss legal matters and things, and they would all talk about that kind of stuff. And so the one who comes to say, hey, there's a problem and you need to address it. Well, those people, they, they hate the one who points out their problems. Uh, they don't like the people, they abhor the one who speaks the truth, who says, you're doing something wrong, right? We, none of us like that. But when it happens at a political level, a high, high level, then it's a problem for everybody. And so God goes on through Amos to say, therefore, because you trample on the poor, because you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone. Like, so there's a huge disparity between the poor and the, and the wealthy. You've built houses of hewn stone, but God says, you shall not dwell in them. Like, I'm gonna kick you out of those nice houses that you've built. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you are not gonna be able to drink the wine. Because I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. Does that scare anybody else? Verse 12. God, God's like, I know, I know who you are. I know what you do. Even when you turn the light off, even when nobody else is around, I know, I see what's going on. That's a little, uh, that's a little scary and it's Halloween month. So uh, you who afflict the righteous, you take a bribe, you turn aside the needy in the gate. Okay, so the needy are coming to the gate to get their case heard. Uh, and eventually then you gotta get through the gate to get to the king and they're turning them away right there. Like you're, you can't even get to the place, to the one that, who could really solve your problem. Therefore, God says, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time for it is an evil time. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're on social media, you maybe connect with verse 13. I'll tell you what, I have deleted more posts on social media, uh, comments that I have made on other people's things than I have written altogether uh, on any social media thing. Uh, why? Because I understand that what I'm saying is gonna fall on deaf ears. And, what I'm, and what's gonna happen is there's gonna be a challenge in relationships there um, if I proceed. And so I do a lot of typing out the comment and then, and then I feel better because I got it off my chest and then delete it. Uh, and then hopefully that comes up later uh, in a personal conversation and we can have it um, there, but social media isn't the place to do that. And so Amos is just saying, look, um, those those who could speak positive and, and encourage and, and grow us here, they're just gonna keep silent because they know what's gonna happen if they say anything. And so my question is, do you notice any similarities to what Amos was talking about in the Northern Kingdoms and today? How often are those who call out motives or actions welcomed or appreciated in today's world? What happens if you get on social media and you call out the sins of the nation? you are canceled and nobody listens to you anymore. Everything you have to say is shut down. 
How often are the poor and the outcasts looked down on instead of lifted up? Are not the houses of the rich and powerful still built on the backs of the poor? We afflict the righteous. We take bribes. We refuse to even listen to the struggles of those who are in need. And, and we say things like, um, it's your choices, your challenges that have brought you to your current circumstance. And so I am not responsible. I don't have to help you because you got yourself into that mess and you are gonna have to get yourself out. That's what's going on in the Northern tribes of Israel and that's what's going on today. And so here is God's response a few verses later. Because this is the way you act, he says, I hate and I despise, um, really the, the original word is probably more akin to reject. Um, so he says, I, I hate this and so I reject your feasts. These are spiritual feasts that the Jewish people would get together and celebrate about seven times a year. God says, I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Your solemn assemblies, like you're coming together to worship, to do these good things. But he says, I don't delight in it. Even though you offer me the burnt offerings, grain offerings, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fattened animals, the peace offering is you say, I sinned against God. I'm gonna offer him this peace offering and restore the relationship. He says, the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. So get this, the people of Israel are still obeying the letter of the law. They're still celebrating the feasts. They're still coming together in solemn assemblies. They're still making the offerings that the law of Moses required. They're still doing the right things. They were attending the feast, making offerings. They were coming together to sing songs of praise to God. Um, and they did it with their band, by the way, to the melody of the harps. They had the band and they came together and they worshiped. They were doing the religious thing, but they had ditched the righteous things. They were doing the religious things, but they had ditched the righteous things. And so they were attending church, but it didn't affect their character. Uh, Tammy, I think we need to go to the next one. There we go. They were attending church, but it didn't affect their character. It didn't change the way they functioned or thought. They were singing songs, but those songs didn't sink into their spirit and bring about any transformation. They were presenting offerings to God, but then they did that just so they could continue to practice evil. And, and so this is the difficult part of faith, that, that our religion means nothing if it's not motivated by righteousness. Our religion means nothing if it's not motivated by righteousness. You can come to church every week. You can be immersed. You can take communion. You can give and you can serve. And you can look on the outside like you're doing all the right things. But if there's no transformation happening in your heart, your thoughts, and your actions, then all the rest of the stuff that you're doing, it doesn't amount to much. 
If, if we're not following Jesus out of a place of, of righteousness, a desire to worship him and to grow and to see our lives transformed, then all the religious things that we do don't mean anything. No amount of religiosity can compensate for unrighteousness. And so let's look at verse 24. See what God says. He says this in, it's in, uh, contrast to everything he said before. He says, let justice roll down like the waters. In earlier verses, he was saying, you're avoiding the needy, you're persecuting, you're doing all of these things, but here's how I want you to live. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And this is what Amos actually says honors God. The first thing that honors God, it's the next slide, Tammy, the first thing that honors God is justice. And um, the, the word for justice is mishpat. And, it, and it ref, it's a really interesting word, I think, because it refers to actions taken to correct injustice. So, so th think about that for a second. The word justice means actions that are taken to correct injustice, which, which makes me think, the word justice could not have come about unless there was first injustice. Because the word justice means you're dealing with the injustice. There had to be injustice and somebody had to look at that and go, that's not right. We need to fix that. And then we get the word justice. Justice is concrete actions taken to correct a, a problem or in, injustice. For God and his people, it's about how we correct injustice. It's not just about pointing injustice out, but how we correct it. Justice isn't just a, it's not just the recognition that there is injustice going on. It's about how we make the unjust things just. How are we getting involved? How are we working? How are we changing things uh, to the best of our ab ability? And, and that um, desire to correct injustice, he says, in the verse, he says, that's gonna roll down like waters. Now, I realize this is Kansas, and, and if you've only ever lived in Kansas, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I grew up in Oregon, and in Oregon, there, there, are, there are hills. Uh, they're not just hills, they're mountains, like you can't see around you. Uh, and so one of the phenomenon that is present in other parts of the world uh, outside of Kansas is that you can have waterfalls. What does a waterfall do? It rolls down. It rolls down like water. It crashes down into the water. And, and so Amos is saying, look, uh, God through Amos is saying, look, justice the justice of you people as a nation, as individuals, it should be like a waterfall cascading down to those who are below you in a socioeconomic way or whatever other way you think they are below you. Your justice should pour down onto them. What waters uh, pours down and covers is refreshing and it lifts everybody else uh, up. And so justice must be taken up by those in power who are at the top, and then that refreshes everybody else. Now, um, the next word is righteousness, he says in, in that verse. Um, and, and righteousness, the word literally means right 
relationships. The uh, original word is sedequa, um, and it means right relationships. And so righteousness is equality despite social, economic, or physical disparity. Okay, so you're just thinking about what does it mean um, to be righteous or to live in a righteous way? Righteous means that we're equal as, human, as humans, as humanity, we're equal despite social, economic, uh, financial, or physical disparity between us. Now, I might have more than some of you. I might have less than some of you. But in God's eyes, we're all equal. And so that doesn't matter. And so righteousness is about right relationships between people, no matter what their condition or station in life is. And so think about it this way. A right relationship with God always results in right relationships with others. A right relationship with God always results in right relationships with others. And so as we start this series, let's test our religion. Let's test our religion. Are we doing our part to correct injustice when we see it? Now, some of you might immediately go to political injustice uh, in, in, our, in our vast political system. Um, you might think of other kind of big injustices that maybe you see or witness uh, in the world, but, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, are you doing your part to correct injustice when you see it at work? When there are employees um, pestering, picking on, uh, giving all the crummy jobs to one person, are you standing up for that? Or at school, when there's somebody being bullied, are we stepping in and standing up for that injustice? Are we doing that in the grocery store or on the street corner? Or when those in position of power are persecuting others simply because they aren't in power. It's in those moments that we as believers have a responsibility to stand up to that injustice, really to do what Jesus did, and that is to stand with the poor and the outcast. And then from that position, stand up to those in, in power. So um, if you wanna test your religion, how are you at correcting injustice when you see it? The second question to ask, oh, you got to go back. The second question to ask is, how are your relationships? How are the relationships with the people that you work with, the people in your family, your neighbors uh, and others? And I, and I realize we all have struggle in, in relationships, but how are, generally speaking, your relationships? See, true worship of God it always leads us to right relationships with others. The closer we get to God, the better able we're able, the better we are able to handle relationships with other people. I, I, wanna, I wanna leave you with a, a thought here um, because one of the things that people outside of the church claim about Christianity or religion or church people um, is that in our past, uh, as, as a capital C church in our past, uh, there have been some pretty heinous atrocities that have been perpetrated in the name of God, right? Um, you, you think of the Spanish Inquisition and um, there, there are lots of, uh, lots of ways in which Christian people have oppressed and denied justice to other people for varying reasons. Um, Atrocities have often been perpetrated on behalf of God 
but they have never had the blessing of God. And so one of the things I, I think about in, in terms of other religions versus Christianity, and, and when people say, yeah, but, but Christians have gone in and they've persecuted and they've killed, and we absolutely have, in the name of Jesus, Christians have done some pretty horrible things. The difference is that we can go back to God's word and we can go, yes, those Christian people did that in the name of God, but they did not do it with his blessing because we can see right here, God was not a part of that. Anytime people are not standing up against in, injustice or living with right relationships, that is not what God would desire for us. And so I'm thankful that we can always go back to God's word and we can go, am I living the way God would have me live? Well, if it's not this way, then no. And I need to correct myself. I need to be transformed. So instead of judging yourself based on some sort of religious checkbox system, do I go to church? Do I give? Do I serve? Do I whatever? Try judging yourself based on this concept of righteousness or justice? Is your relationship with God and with others right? Is that relationship good? If it's not, then okay, God, what's blocking that? How, how do I get back in that relationship? What concrete steps can I take to correct it? And the other thing is, God, am I standing up for people who um, don't have a way to stand up for themselves? When, when that opportunity is presented, am I taking it? And if not, then we need to look at ourselves and we need to adjust that in our own lives. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for um, being here today. Thank you for the good day that it has been as we have um, watched a couple families dedicate themselves and their children to you. We just, we just again, pray a blessing on um, the Johnsons and the Piles and, um, and, and other families who, who have young kids, I, I know, weren't up here. And, um, so God, I just, I just pray that you would lead us all to look more like your son, Jesus, because as we look more like Jesus, other people will want to look more like Jesus. That's just the way it works. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for um, this opportunity over the next several weeks to take a closer look at our own religion and, and really test it to see if it's, if it's good or if it's lacking. And so would you give us eyes to see even our own sin, our own failure, um, the, the places and the areas in our lives that we haven't turned over to you, where we're not looking like your son, Jesus. And so help us to see those areas and, uh, and then address it so that we can be transformed to look more like your son, Jesus, every day. Help us to do that, God, and be with us this week as we stand up to injustice and we work towards right relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.